This is a shock podcast. You are listening to the podcast from Grit to Great. I am Jed. Hi, everyone. This is Jonathan. Before we start, this is going to be an exciting episode because it's going to be about leadership. But before we do that, let's talk about discoveries. Your turn first, Jed. So my discovery for the week is also literally about a product called Discovery. And that Mm. is, I just discovered the streaming service of Discovery Plus. Okay. You're familiar with Discovery Channel. They do have a streaming service now. And I have been seeing their advertisements for over a year now. But at the back of my head, I'm like, why would I get their service when it's all just Discovery Channel TV shows? Like, you know, space, science, animals, etc. I downloaded it because there's a seven-day trial. Every day, I think I'm watching, you know, those series. Like, one of my favorite when I was in university was Extreme Cuponing. Do you remember mm, that TV series? No, I don't. I don't. So Extreme Cuponing is like a group of people who are able to buy groceries worth a thousand US dollars or five hundred US dollars. And that's a lot of money. But everything is using a coupon. I see. So they cut from magazines like hundreds or dozens of coupons. And they're so smart on how to double up the worth of the coupon. Mm-hmm. So they also have their like their own mini grocery store or mini grocery gondola in their own homes. Okay. You've got two discoveries for the week. One is the discovery and the, the other show as well. I, I, I think I've discovered so many things because yeah. I, you know, because so many TV discovery, shows yeah, are yeah, there. Yeah. So, and I think it's only around uh, 10 ringgit or 129 pesos per oh, month. Oh, that's very competitive. So that's not so bad because Netflix is around 50 ringgit or 599 pesos. So for so many TV shows, it's like... You know, it's like uh, in Tagalog, we call it as umay because you've been eating the same things. You wanted to like cleanse your palate with something else. Right. And I think right. Discovery streaming service was that for me. Interesting. Okay. So there, your turn. Right. So my discovery is I'll share something, one of my favorite, favorite documentaries of all time. And it is called Honeyland. I don't know whether you've seen this already. I haven't. I've never heard of it. It is a 2019 this documentary before the pandemic. And I saw this during the lockdown season. And it's about the last female bee hunter in Europe mm-hmm. who, who was trying to save the bee and return them to natural balance. She's basically alone. And in the process of trying to do this traditional way of beekeeping, uh, she comes across this family who was envious of how she was doing these things. And then that's where the conflict of the the documentary is. Now, what is so fascinating about this documentary, you say, is it is such a beautiful, uh, the human touch, the, the struggles of people in the rural area, which is so so mundane, you know, they don't even think about the money and power. And it's just about they want, the they want to serve pace of life. But there are still struggles within that slow pace of life. I because- still, okay, sorry, I still, I still can't get over the fact that when you say it's the last, I'm like, 
at this point, I'm sure she has handed over what she knows with That's someone else. That's right? the thing. She doesn't have any daughters or sons. You know, she she is alone. You have to see it because it's a okay. very traditional way of beekeeping. What's the title again? Sorry. Honeyland. 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 Okay. So yeah. Is, is, is this okay? I'm gonna be snobbish, but is this something that has been nominated for best oh, yes. documentary? Oh, they are Oscar. This it is? is a super, super a well-received, well-awarded documentary ah, in 2019. Okay. But it was nominated for Oscars. It was nominated for the ah, best okay. documentary in Oscar. So I think this is really, really one of the most amazing, most most heartfelt. I remembered I shed a tear when I saw this. At okay. the end. Is it on um, Netflix? Or on YouTube? I think it is on Netflix, if I'm not mistaken. You have to see it, really, really. I mean, the the struggles when the new family came in and got envious of her, that's when the real magic of the, the film started. So it, it's this is my discovery. This is my recommendation. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. By the way, that's also what I do. So every time I look for documentaries, I just Google and say, what were the... Oscar nominated documentaries because I think that this is the list of Oscars that doesn't go wrong. Every time I watch the ones that they nominate, I always never regret the time that I spent. And I have it. All of them have been really good. We have to make some business now. Today, we're going to talk about what makes a great leader. Jed, do you think you're a great leader, by the way? Um, or you try, you try I to be? I know. I, we, I mean, I try my best to become the best mm. leader for, for everyone, but it's not me who to judge myself, you know? Okay. So today is going to be about creating a checklist based on what the literature says, based on what anecdotes would say, and based from someone as being a consultant who does leadership workshops and research around the world. I'd like to share some of those in this list. If you happen to be a staff or a rank and file, it could be a checklist for you to see if your manager is taking all the boxes. If you happen to be a leader yourself, it could also be a list if you're taking all the boxes for your teams. So Jet, let's get to business. Are you ready? Yep. By the way, I need to clarify this because I think a lot of people have a strong opinion about terminologies. What do you think about when people say that you shouldn't be using the word boss? Instead, use the word leader or manager because some people think that the word boss has a bad connotation to it. What's your take on this? Um, I'm not very sensitive about it. I mean, it's... it's a so for you, it can be interchange, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, well. a, it's a fact of life. Boss see, is somebody who is above us. Yes, that's my thing as well. For me, I don't see anything wrong if I use the word boss. I get it that you can connect it to the word bossy, which is a bad adjective. Yep. But I do think that you can call someone as well your boss. The, the one thing I, th- I see, though, is that on social media, whenever I post something and I use the word boss, I often get a comment in the comment section wherein the, the viewer says, I think a better word to use is leader rather than a boss. So I, I don't know, but for me, I'm, I think they can be interchanged. The word boss is very colloquial. It's very casual as well. And I think while at the same time, leadership qualities can be exclusive, such as being visionary, having psychological safety and et cetera, and that they may not be part of being a boss, I think that it's totally fine to interchange them. But anyway, I'm digressing now. So let's talk about five things. Jed, maybe you can start. What's the one thing that you think makes 
a great leader? For me, it's basically a leader has to be a trainer, a coach, and a mentor. Mm. Just not there to instruct. The leader has to be there to guide. The litmus test of someone embracing their role as a leader is that when they see themselves also responsible for the growth of their people. So I've been in situations, you know, when I was younger, I've had bosses as well, wherein all that they think of is that, hey, you're getting paid. Hey, you were hired by HR and you were able to pass the tests that assume that you know how to do X, Y, and Z. So if that is the case, then I can throw this PowerPoint deck to you and do it on your own. Get back to me later on and let me see if you did it right. By the way, zero coaching, zero mentoring, you know, those kinds of boss where they just give you some past decks and then they make you read them. And then they assume that you've already digested everything and they don't even say at the end of the conversation, if you have any questions, let me know. Have you met mm-hmm. those kinds of bosses yet? By the way, in architecture world, do bosses... Bosses like that exist. I'm saying this. I'm saying this because in architecture, I would assume that there's going to be such an intense level of guidance that needs to happen first. Because you guys are output driven. It depends. Um, (laughs) um, There are bosses. There are leaders um, who wish to just put out their imagination, their sketches, and then they let their subordinates follow through with mm. modeling, with rendering and all that. Because so it's, assumed, it's assumed that you already know how to do that. Yeah. So basically, it's more of a robotic work. I mean, mm. that's when you're very, very young. But so I, I guess it depends on the industry as well. It depends on the industry. It depends on the time. It depends on the facing. But I guess to your point, and what you're trying to really say here is that The growth of the mentee or the staff should be a priority for a good leader. I agree. Um, And that means you are not simply instructing, but you are guiding Mm. the mentees, not going through step one, step two, step, because that's, that probably might be too manipulative. Or too spoon feeding to the point that that you're making them too pampered. But at least you try to give them the idea that this is the output and these are probably option one, option option two, option three of the ways to get to the output. You give them some options so that they could explore by themselves. Mm. One of my favorite, I'm sure you've seen this in some at some point on LinkedIn. And one of my favorite memes that I often see about training and guiding your people is this conversation. It's like a meme conversation when the CFO asks the CEO and he says, what happens if we invest in developing our people and then they leave us? Which I think is very expected of some family-owned companies. I've noticed this, by the way. So I have so many friends who have their own businesses. But I do think that sometimes family-owned businesses have this mindset that it's a cost rather than an investment to develop your people. And so thinking that if we invest on a training, like sending them to a conference, buying them or getting them a coach to teach them how to speak confidently at work. So the CFO asks the CEO, what happens if we invest in developing our people and then they leave us? And then the meme goes, the CEO responding, what happens if we don't and yet they stay? It's both a funny and a thought-provoking meme because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's a return to investment. The longer that employee stays in your company, the higher is the ROI to how much you have spent on their training. I think Richard Branson also has a famous quote for this and he says, Uh, train people well enough so that they can leave, but treat them well enough so they don't want to leave. Which goes to show that, yes, it is a risk to spend on people's development, but if you treat them right, I think that they will not find a reason to get out of the company. I have a good friend. Her name is Mabel. 
And hi, Mabel, if you're listening to this, by the way. And when I went to GSK, so GlaxoSmithKline, which, by the way, is, again, arguably one of the best companies that I have seen. And of course, I'm being biased here because I've worked for them. So when I came as my second job, she started her career from university as a management trainee. And up until today, she still remains to be an employee of that company. And I must say that the reason why she also stays is because while she enjoys everything, she has also been given so many opportunities. So she started as a management trainee in the Philippines, but she had stints. She has been rotated to stints in Australia, in Kuala Lumpur, in London, and now she's in Taiwan. Mm. And she's eyeing more positions in other parts of the world. So she's getting trained, yes, but it remains to be an investment that keeps on returning because she has reasons for staying in the company as well. If you have a leader who embraces that, I'm not just here to instruct, I'm here to make sure that your ability to use PowerPoint goes up from level one to level three, that in five years, your ability to present a pitch goes up from level one to level 10. If they embrace that, then you have a great leader. Let's go to marker number two. Let me take this one. I think you have a great leader and I think you are a great leader if you believe in empowerment of your own people. Meaning that while it's important to hold their hands at the beginning, if they have proven that they can do things on their own, you start letting go and you start applying minimal supervision. Basically, you are against micromanagement in this case. Jet, what's your take on this? This is a very tough call, and you know, especially mm. for um, small businesses. Like I myself, guilty of micromanagement. I can Im- I can imagine how you know, especially let's say if you just hired someone, you know, yeah, some- and you can't really expect high level decision making from them. And mm. so what happens is that you really just have to micromanage or you just have to do it yourself, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, so those mm-hmm. are the only two things that you have to do. Otherwise, you would have so many abortive works. You have so many back jobs. And when time is of the essence, you can't have those. But remember, Jed, number two is connected to number one. Oh, yeah. If, if you train your people well, then there will come a point that they don't need to be micromanaged because they have already learned the ropes on how to do it on their own. So this is the caveat that I'm trying to reach is that you have to at least micromanage at the very beginning when Mm. these people really need that guidance anyway, Mm -hmm. right? And then you start to let go. And this is where, by the way, this is where I would say that the word micromanagement, even if it has a bad tone to it, is not bad all the time. Yes. I think micromanagement is essential at the start when you cannot trust yet someone and they haven't proven that they can be trusted. A leader embraces the idea that at some point you can let them go. So simple things such as, you know, calling out your team member and say, you know, you don't need to copy me in every email. I think you can do things on your own. Yeah. Or let's say, for example, like, have you been in those meetings wherein the boss is the one who invited people to this meeting, but the boss is letting their direct report to be the one to preside and that she's just there to shadow and she's just there to listen? Because I've been in meetings as well wherein they let someone preside it and yet the boss keeps on inserting themselves. <laughs> have you been in those meetings, Jed? And I feel, yeah, so ba- I feel so bad, especially for like young folks, like an in- and I can relate because I was like that before. Like an intern is the one who calls out the meeting, presides the meeting, but every 30 seconds or every two minutes, the boss keeps on inserting themselves. And at the back of your mind, you would say like, okay, then just be the one to preside the meeting. You're just shaming your own folks here. It makes them look like they don't know what to do or what to say. 
Right. You know, when I was starting my career as an architect, my boss was not a micromanager to the point that I felt like I was being thrown in the mm. open ocean. And I felt that I lacked the guidance I needed. And looking back, I wouldn't change any single thing. But wait, 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 wait. I'm going to I'm going to argue a bit on that, because I think it's also the extreme part wherein some leaders, they may not be micromanaging, but they're too empowering to a fault. Yeah. To the so, point that. Yeah, I go guess, ahead. I guess what I'm trying to say here is that not being a micromanager is a good thing, but also there has to you have to strike a balance. A balance, agree. A micromanager and also somebody who really has to let go and let your subordinate be empowered and really think about ways, even at the expense of failure. Mm, yeah. I mean, um, you need to a good manager knows that there is some space for error. Yep. And if the error is made, it remains to be manageable. Despite that the error might have some financial repercussions, mm, you know, yeah. it, because it happens. I mean, it, that happens to me all the time. Mm. You know, my, my new employees would, you know, seriously screw up something that may, would have cost money from the company. But then what you say is, you know, you make them understand that there is a financial implication to this and that this will never happen again. Yeah. May I share an example um, a true to life story that happened to me when I was a management trainee. I was a management trainee for Globe Telecom, a telecommunications company. I was 22 years old, 22. Jeez, I feel so old now when I say that. 22 years old. So one of the major tasks given to me was to spend around 700,000 pesos. 700,000 pesos, that's around uh, 70,000 ringgit, I think. So I was asked to print flyers for a product of Globe Telecom. It was for a laptop that you can use the internet for. And my manager asked me to print it according to a certain size, like five centimeters, five whatever length and width. And it was supposed to be in inches. I gave it wrongly in centimeters. So it got small. When they printed the flyers, and this is around like 10,000 flyers, 10,000 or 20,000 flyers, that's a lot. It looked like it was a calculator. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, that. so my gosh, I remember, I, I still remember, I, Jed, I think I, I told this to you. I remember I was getting a call from my manager and he was really, really so mad over the phone to the point that I knew he wasn't saying it directly, but he was like making me feel that I should be paying for it. Right. But you didn't, right? I didn't. You know why? And this was the silver lining to it. When, because we were printing something in partnership with... I think this was for BlackBerry and we wanted to, because the BlackBerry was giving away, I think, laptops. I mean, BlackBerry doesn't exist much these days, but they were giving away some laptops if you get an account with BlackBerry, something like that. But when the managers of BlackBerry saw it, because they were the ones spending half of it, they said it looked cute. Right. So I'm like, oh my God. Okay. So I was spared. But, you know, this was an example of a manager who, of course, he was mad. But he saw the room for error. So he still told me that I need to be more focused on the details next time. But after that, he micromanaged me further mm. because I've still yet to prove that I can get the job done. So it took me like two or three more projects until he finally let go of me. It's been long. Let's <laughs> move that. on. All right, sorry, sorry. <laughs> uh, third part now. Your turn, actually. Third, a great leader to me is somebody who helps you multiply your own network. So mm. somebody who would expose you to the right people, connect you to the right colleagues, 
and and well, the other right bosses in big wigs. Yes, and also like your own contemporaries in other industries and in, in other companies as well. That's a great leader for me. The leader that I want to become, I do think I do it for my folks as well. Is every time someone does a good job, I copy the rest of the managers and leaders and say, "Hi, Anna. This was a fantastic presentation." And then I say to the rest of the other teams, "Team, I'm sharing what Anna did because I think we can learn a thing or two from her PowerPoint deck." Mm-hmm. And so it sends a message to the rest of the network that Anna is someone that I'm very proud of and Anna is someone that I would vouch for and I yeah. think this is important because come the next few months or next few years when Anna is about to get promoted I've already installed her flashes of brilliance so that people are aware that she deserves to get promoted and this is where you say that your network is your net worth at the end of the day so walking along the corridors passing by someone at the canteen or cafeteria if my direct report is with me and we stumble into another vice president or into another manager i say something like oh by the way this is anna she's my colleague she works with me on project x and then i talk to that other person more about anna just so that you know just the idea of being familiarized with that other person it gives her the power that when she sees the person again next time she wouldn't hesitate to say hi that hi can graduate in the future into making a small talk a small talk can graduate into asking a question asking a question can graduate in the future into challenging someone's thoughts when you bridge people to more networks you're referring them and telling them that I'm giving you the blessing and the ability to talk to more folks other than me because I think you deserve to learn from other people as well. Do you do the same thing, Jed? I mean, I understand that you probably may have a different feel in the architecture world, but does this happen as well? No, it's among... it's it's, uh, it's fairly a, a, a given to all industries, I suppose. It's like mm. the the mentee that you're trying to take care of is basically somebody you would need to in introduce to some of the other big wigs you know mm. step by step that is in part not just through like emails which we have mentioned earlier but also through social events for example you know what i don't like i don't like the feeling of my boss brought me in a meeting and everyone knows each other and here i am at the corner of the table and i don't know anyone and i feel like i just want to hide and i want planet earth to eat me why would you feel- i couldn't talk why would no, no. you feel so bad about that? You should be happy that you are in, you know, rubbing no, elbows no. with the p- big people. No, no, that's what I'm trying to say. My boss brought me to the table, but she never even introduces me. Okay, so that's a different story. Uh, let me say, yeah. And there are bosses like that. Yeah. They only treat their people as like an assistant. Yeah. As if yeah. they're just there to take notes and they don't even introduce them properly. Yeah, it happened right. to me in Japan. My other colleague would not really introduce me. and like, what? Is this a Japanese thing or I it's just a personality? personality thing this is one thing i'm always be I, I would always be very cautious of like when you invite someone in a party it's not if you bring a friend to a party make sure that part that person is not left out i don't want you to be sulking in the sofa pretending that you're texting as if you have someone to talk to but really you just want to hide your face because yeah. you don't know anyone yeah. in the party it's the same feeling i don't want with people like interns freshmen people who just graduated they always 
are placed in this sad position as if they are nobodies as well. Yeah, yeah. So if you have a leader who does the other, the opposite of this, good for you. And I hope you keep on doing that for more people. Next um, one. A great leader, I think, is someone who takes it as the responsibility to progress your career to the next level. And I would vouch for this because I think one of the litmus tests of a great boss is if you were able to promote your people to the next level. Because that means not only were you able to make a case for their promotion, but because you did one, two, and three. You can't be promoted easily if you weren't properly trained, if you weren't empowered, and if you weren't, if you didn't have the right network, who likely in the company, HR and other VPs and managers will also decide on your promotion. So if you're able to progress someone's career, and I think it should be a, an objective of a leader, then it's a boss who will fight and lobby for your promotion because you deserve it. What do you think of that, Jed? I Have think you... that this is a given. I think a good leader is somebody who doesn't hog the limelight on his or her own, mm. but would have to lift up the other people in his or her team by promoting them, by giving them a chance to get more roles, heavier roles, mm. and prove themselves as well to the rest of the company. Can I add this as well? It doesn't have to be promotion, it could just be being rotated to a different position just so that she can learn more about yeah, the company. Yeah. yeah. This was pre-COVID-19. I was able to have an opportunity to talk to Shell Malaysia. And one of the things that I discovered about them is every four years, their employees are nudged. So they're not forced, but they're nudged. They're strongly encouraged to rotate to a different position that may be related to your current position. But the purpose of that is that you get to diversify your set skills. So if you're from marketing and if you're aspiring to become a business unit director in the future, it will be great if you also learn more about sales or finance. Mm -hmm. So after four years, you'll be asked to rotate. And of course, if you were the boss of that person, you'd feel a bit sad because you're letting go of a good talent or you probably will be losing a talent to the point that you need to hire a new one. I think a great boss will not hesitate because even if they have to let go of that talent, they know it's what's best for them. This is, I think, one of the best things that could happen to somebody working for a big multinational company. Mm. This culture of rotation is somehow more predominant in bigger companies. I right? agree. And it's a good way for you to actually move around and really see and go deeper into the business of your company. You know, you, you would know how everything works, not just, for example, in the marketing, but also in the HR or yeah. maybe in the technicalities of the company. So you get to have a, a little or, bit of everything. Or, or perhaps like you might be in the same marketing team, but now you have been deployed to another country. Yeah, so you can see exactly. a different market. Market. Like if you're from the Philippines, you get deployed to Europe because they have an office in Europe or into South America, for example. So there. But I, I'm just going to be digressing out here. But, you know, there's also a reason why they have the rotation strategy. Mm. And, and that is because for those people that they don't want in their teams any longer, they put them in on a rotation so that that's a way for them to let go of that person. It's that true. could be, that could be. Well, I can also add one thing. Sometimes you need to rotate people so that they don't get easily bored, which might make them yeah. want to quit their exactly. jobs. Exactly. So yeah, so there are lots of reasons why the rotation actually happens and works for a company. Agreed. So last, what makes a great leader? I think a great leader would personally care for his or her mentee. I, I so agree. I think it's hard not to be a great boss if you don't fulfill the personal needs 
of your folks, the emotional needs, the mental wellness needs. Because no matter if you're the best sales performer, if that employee feels unsafe or feels insecure, that one of her family members at some point will catch COVID-19 and, mm-hmm. and you don't care a single thing about it, then your people will not be able to bring out their best. Good empathy, right? From, mm. from a great leader. Mm. I think this is where we need to strike a balance again. We're not asking leaders to know every single thing about their families yeah. and about their personal lives, but just the right amount to make them feel that there's a human touch, that I'm not here because I'm just getting paid and I'm a robot. I'm here because I'm valued and respected as a person. So does this mean that we have to be also become like a good friend to our You know, when I was typing this in our list, I'm like... How close should you be? And we had an episode about this, right? Like yeah. how close should you be with your manager? I don't necessarily think that you have to be a friend to the point that, because again, I would have a strict definition of a friend. A friend is someone that you can share your problems with and solicit solutions from. And to the point that you can even call out that person anytime. I don't think that your relationship with your boss should be at that level, but just the right amount of care to the point that you know yeah. that you can turn to someone when it's related to your life that affects what you're doing at work. Like when I'm on a sick leave on a Monday, you'd ask for how am I doing rather than automatically assuming that I'm lying and I'm out there in another beach having fun and pretending that I want to sick leave. So personal mm-hmm. care is, you know, even if that is your immediate thought, you'd give me a benefit of the doubt and instead tell me on a text message, I hope you feel better. I'll catch you on Tuesday. If you need anything from me, let me know. Those statements matter. That for me is personal care without being a friend to your colleagues. Right? Uh, So, Jed, if you were to, before we end, if if you were to tick the boxes here, do you think you were able to tick all five? I am a very consistent person. It's just that I do get stress, like every one of us. And, you know, sometimes the stress get the best out from us. And do you pass it on to your teams? Yeah. I mean, you you feel it as well. Your other character will have to show. And Mm. that could be you're a micromanager. That could be somebody who would, you know, really be nasty to them. So here's my question. So if that's the case, which of the five do you think you need to work? on like i'll give you an example i think i think it's more really more of the micromanaging part really okay and i can understand for, but, that but the rest i think i am that person i am a, a person be, uh, like that because my previous bosses were also like that to be mm. so i'm just passing that on but in terms of the what you're 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 sharing the vengeance to someone else is that what you're trying to say no 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 i mean i'm just passing on the good deeds for ah, my okay okay gotcha mine would be number four i think sometimes my standards are just too high that even if i think the person can be ready for promotion i it's would still so give it yeah i still give it like ah the person should be as good as I am. But that's wrong to project because we all have a different level and I should not be comparing myself to someone who may have lesser expertise. So I'm more working on that part as well. Well, gladiators in suits, I hope you look at the checklist as well. And if you think that there are other things to add on what makes a great leader, we would love to listen and hear to your comments. So please type it in the chat box if you're seeing this from a social media post or on the comment section or send us an email, jonathanyabut at jycvasia.com. So, Jed, thank you for sharing your leadership journey with thank me. Thank you. And I'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye.